When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome. Welcome. Hello. That's Jessica Smetana. I'm Spencer Hall, and we are DNF. Jessica, Hungarian Grand Prix, not exactly the most exciting or thrilling stop on the F1 circuit, correct? Well, as you so eloquently tweeted, Spencer, they don't call it the fun ring. <laughs> you know, it's like way more awkward when you say it out loud, right? Like, <laughs> I know it, did, it didn't sound funny at all. Hot, hot okay. tweets do hot tweets do not hot bars make all the time. <laughs> but it was a uh, a very, as the F one experts say, technical race, a race that was won in strategy, mm-hmm. in pit stops, in uh, mm-hmm. tire compounds this week, and also a race that was lost in strategy and tire compounds this race. And as has been the theme with most of our episodes of the show, Spencer, we must start with our review of the Hungarian Grand Prix by once again asking, does Ferrari know that they are racing? Does Ferrari even know there's a race going on? Because we have a lot of little things to talk about. Um, You said it was a very technical race. That's a very complimentary way of looking at it. I might (laughs) dark side this a bit and say that this was a race of, uh, this is a race for the nerds. This was a race where the greatest (laughs) drama, the greatest drama was, ooh, what tires are they going to put on? And that's, you know, for the casual, that may not necessarily be the greatest race, but it does give us another opportunity to ask, is Ferrari even racing? Do they know what a race is. If you put it on their plate, would they know if it was food or a race? That's very much the kind of level of thinking we're wait, at because wait. maybe it's cake. Maybe they cut it open and it's maybe. cake. <laughs> is it you know like when it, when an alien civilization first encounters something and they're like, do we kill it, eat it, or raise it as one of our own? <laughs> Ferrari would not know. They would not know if they saw a race coming their way. I do think it gave us an exciting opportunity to see two things that I think we knew would happen. I think we all figured that if the car lasted, that Max Verstappen would not finish ninth or 10th, that he would elbow his way to the front and luck out. And I think the second thing that we all thought was going to happen that ended up happening with an exciting variation was Ferrari absolutely putting it in the bin, just absolutely binning it. Yeah, should we, I mean, I know you said like tire compounds are for nerds, but maybe we could just give like a very, very easy tire 101 for people who maybe don't know why Mm -hmm. Ferrari's second pit stop for Charles Leclerc was such a disaster. Uh, Mm -hmm. So Spencer, basically the rules are that you have to use two different tire compounds during a race, correct? And this was a race in which Ferrari was going to be using three different tires two different compounds over the span of the race with two pit stops. So they started Mm -hmm. Charles Leclerc on medium tires, put medium tires on him during his first pit stop. And then when his second pit stop happened, they decided, well, we can't go on the soft tires because those will degrade faster and we have a lot of race left to race. So we have to put on hard tires. So that was why Ferrari put on the hard tires, which then were not the appropriate tire for the end of the race and he was not able i hear a cat making noises and i that's that is a dog and i'm going to try to get her out of here (laughs) i almost made it through without the dog stopping me but anywho 
Uh, you could tell the dog to join. The dog actually should get hired by Ferrari to do their pit strategy for the dog the has an equal an equal understanding of race strategy, right? <laughs> because it, it, this is what you should know. Okay, so there were the circumstances. A a tire is is generally dictated by track conditions and how your driver's managing those track conditions. If it's a wet track, you're going to want one kind of tire. If it's a dry track, you're going to want another. I need you to know what Ferrari did here mm-hmm. in the course of this race in terms of managing tires and how rare it is. This comes from at uh, Virtual Statman on Twitter, uh, F1 Observer. The medium, medium, hard tire strategy, which is exactly what Ferrari ended up using, going to the hardest slick of all slicks at mm-hmm. the end of the race. Given the conditions today, all you need to know, like you, without getting too far in the weeds, all you need to know that it did not figure in any of Pirelli's strategy recommendations (laughs) for today's race. And it wasn't even suggested as an alternative for quicker strategies. So it's not like they gambled on something that might have (laughs) happened. It's not like they did something that was contrarian that could have worked out. No, they needed a knife and they pulled out a banana. That's very much what we're looking at in terms of what Ferrari actually accomplished in this race. Yeah. And it wasn't like their hands were tied by starting with the two mediums and then they had to pit Leclerc and put him on hards. They could have waited a little bit and put him on softs. They could have, I don't know, thought about the end game Spence before they put him on the mediums the second time around. Um, So yes, I think it's fair to say Ferrari once again, lost this race for Leclerc and for Sainz. Neither of them ended up on the podium despite qualifying in the top three yesterday. And we had another Verstappen, Hamilton, Russell podium for the second weekend in a row Uh because of Ferrari. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Look, it's old times. We got Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton in the top three with an assorted Mercedes in there, right? Last year it was, you know, usually if that was the arrangement – it was Bottas, and then if it was, uh, and if it wasn't, it was George Russell. And now you've got this. And, and by the way, given what each of these guys, uh, Mercedes, we sh- should go ahead and give them full credit here because Mercedes looked like garbage on Friday, absolute garbage mm-hmm. in practice, and managed to finish 2-3, which I believe is their best finish for the season as a team, is finishing 2-3 and really turning around. Like if you want to go, okay, um, to borrow a football metaphor, if you want to go into the second half looking strong, this is as promising. No, Betty. One second. I'm serious. This is live, and I cannot get this dog out of here. I have to go ahead. <laughs> it's okay. And get her I'll, out of this room. You I'll, keep I'll, I'll fill for a few minutes. Uh, so I've been doing uh, Hungarian on Duolingo, and it's not going so well. So for those of you asking for my Formula One minute in Hungarian tomorrow. Uh, unfortunately, it's going to be in English, but I am excited for it because I've I've also run out of ways to make uh, loud, scary Italian sounding noises. Um, Spencer has has agreed to help me with that a little bit later on in the episode. So I'm excited for that. Uh, as Spencer wrangles his dog, we have a few things. Oh, he's back. Vamping. It was great vamping. I could hear the whole thing. <laughs> Thank you. I was going to say, we have a few things later on in the episode that people should get excited for. We have mid-season awards, Spencer, because the summer break is coming up and it is three Mm -hmm. weeks long. And as all of these drivers go on their summer yacht cruises, uh, we have some things to award some of them with, uh, maybe to put on their their mantelpieces in their Monaco apartments. So we're excited for that later on the episode. But anyways, back to Ferrari, Spencer. Uh, Back to Ferrari. Mattia Binotto at one point left the pit wall and Ted Kravitz joked that maybe he was going to get a cup of coffee, which makes me wonder if he watches the show, Spencer, because that was what we have been joking about all season. Is he, are are they just fancying themselves a little espresso while the race is going on? I think so. I think this is a good idea, by the way, for Ferrari, because it's not like they were going to get anything right at this point. Charles Leclerc should just go ahead and no sell, not pit, not come in. He should call his own plays. Um, I think this is probably a good time to go ahead and test your knowledge of Italian because I saw last week during the F1, yeah, just briefly. Mm -hmm. Last week during your F1 minute, you did the entire thing in French. Mm -hmm. Right? Because you are- I do, yeah, I did. 
I did. I do. I do know French, though. I don't know a lot of Italian other than the swears that my grandma hurls at me. Well, that's fine because I don't know Italian either. But I have, uh, I have a little helper in the form of Google Translate. If you are ready, okay. okay I'm ready. Um, so what's what's the game? What's, what's the game here? So you're going to say Italian phrase. I'm going to guess what they mean. Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, and they are all somewhat related to Ferrari situation. Okay. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Let's do it. Non, non rischivo a trovare il mio culo con una mappa. Um, we didn't plan for this. Sort of, sort of. That's oh. very close. I could not find my ass with a map. <laughs> that, that's, that's one of them. Okay. Wait, can you say that again? I'm going to write this down. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, because I have erased okay, it. Okay, that's and fine. I'm, go- I'm on to, yes, because I, I have a very short attention span. Uh, and this one is, uh, I'm going to sure I have it right, but I think it is also appropriate for what we have, which is, Ho perso una gara perce, non recivo a desideri quali scarpe indossari. Hmm. Can you say it again? Sure, sure, because I'm sure my pronunciation is. <laughs> I just got to hear one root here. word, Spencer. Okay. Ho perso una gara perce. Non recivo a desideri quale scarpe indossare. Okay, what does that mean? I lost a race because I could not decide what shoes to wear. <laughs> Which, don't make it easy, Ferrari. Don't. Don't. That's exactly what was about to happen, okay? That you could not decide what shoes to wear, and it cost you a possible two spots on the podium and you got fourth and sixth instead in the last race going into the summer break that's uh, so what our, happened our buddy nate saunders from uh espn tweeted that verstappen has 80 points ahead of leclerc right now and if he fails to finish at the next three consecutive races he will still lead the championship so not only did they lose this race and the race before and many races before that because of these strategy calls it seems like the championship is almost assuredly max verstappen's and we are mm-hmm. barely barely i mean we have 10 races left right or nine races after today uh so we may be mm-hmm. witnessing the last uh, five races of the season with a championship already kind of locked in the bag for Verstappen when at the beginning of yep. the season, it seemed like Ferrari maybe would be the team to win the championship with a lot of races left to go. So there's been quite, um, quite a shift. And uh, I don't know at what point Ferrari decides they need to make changes uh, because I imagine if their race strategy is this bad, their strategy in uh, assessing their strategy probably also is bad, right? Like the whole yeah, strategy. Like- all the strategies it's, are bad it's a lot like do you trust the engineer to fix the engineer's problems like <laughs> do you even if you're this bad in spot analysis in the moment how bad are you going to be in, in examining your own problems right. like there's a crisis of confidence at multiple levels here because i'm pretty sure the driver does not trust the crew at this point does not trust the engineers or at least the strategists. He might trust the engineers, but they do not trust the strategists. Okay. And you could not blame Carlos Sainz or Charles Leclerc for feeling that way. We all heard the scream last week. They're broken. Okay. They're both in their own way, each broken, even with Carlos Sainz getting his first win this year, they're both absolutely. If you said that they did not trust them at all, you would not blame them. You cannot trust by the way, the strategists with the actual engineers because there's got to be tension there because mm-hmm. someone in the garage at Ferrari is killing it. Someone is yeah. absolutely putting out top-notch work week after week after week because we keep saying the same thing. We keep saying, oh man, they got a great car. That car is amazing. And then someone makes a call in a race about when to put the wrong tires on or call someone in or makes a harebrained strategy decision otherwise and blows it for them. Like, I don't know what you can do to retool that if all of the same people are in charge. 
Right. After the race, Charles Leclerc said he didn't know why they went on the hards and that the last part of the race was a disaster. Uh, so it seems both drivers have kind of lost lost faith in the team calls. I, I also heard um, earlier in the race there was a, a dummy call for Carlos Sainz to, to box and he didn't box. And it was that was apparently like their plan. It was to kind of trick Mercedes and George Russell into going into the pit lane uh, to offset it. But I, at one point, do, do they all become dummy calls and the, the drivers just ignore everything that they say? in the pit lane and choose their own adventure. I think Carlos Sainz maybe uh, has a, a legitimate stake at being the best strategist on the Ferrari team. Uh, yeah. so, so, so things seem to be going well there. Um, not sure what happens for them for the rest of the season. They may not even win second place in the Constructors' Cup. Mercedes looks like they're very close to overcoming that gap. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how they how they overcome the reputation they've made for themselves over the first half of the season. I mean, you want to say that the second half of the race was a disaster. The second half of the season has genuine disaster potential for Ferrari for all of the reasons that you just listed it is it's stunning how bad they've been at managing all of and developing all of the work they did in the offseason all the work they've done over the past couple of years and narrowing the gap uh between them mercedes and red bull it's and then squandering it in the moment like that's it it's not that's the amazing thing to me because part of me wants to say they can't fix this because they're not going to change management but another part of me wants to say okay if they just change the strategy, if they just change the management, they would be in such a better spot. So it's hard for me to say that they're that far off either. They're like to me, it's a it's an either or. They're either going to crash or they are absolutely going to soar in the second half based on whether they keep the same people in charge of strategy and of race management. Uh, before we move on to our midseason awards, um, do we have any? Anything else we want to say about this race, about Verstappen, about Mercedes? Mercedes, once again, pulling off an amazing finish after having the worst Friday of, of their season, which seems to happen, like, pretty often. Like, they'll describe the car as a shitbox, and then, like, a day later, Lewis will finish in third place or something, like, just behind the Red Bulls. Um, do we, do we yeah. have any other thoughts on, on the Hungarian Grand Prix? Um, the guys behind the, the behind the anthem who were holding the flags, yeah, that was hungry. You're wild for that one. You're weird. <laughs> How would you describe those dudes? Um, you know what? That's a really good question. I'm not sure how I would describe them. They were in like um like black tank tops, and it was very mm -hmm. cold there. So that was an interesting choice. Uh, it was a very uh like extravagant national anthem as we've seen this season maybe that should be one of our awards best anthem i still think the guy who shredded at uh the was it austrian grand prix i still think that guy oh no no great britain place. great was it oh you're right that, that, yeah. that was at silverstone that was incredible <laughs> yeah that's still that's still my leader for anthem i think you know you can pretty much judge whether this country's like a, a chill vibe or not by how uh exuberant or uh how exuberant the anthem is like if the anthem is super like amped and over the top, it's probably a pretty chill place, right? Because we're just all there to have a good time. If you do what Hungary did, you're like, I don't know, man. Things kind of feel off here. Mm. I think that this is mm. it's kind of a it's kind of a solemn, it's a solemn anthem. I don't know if yeah, you want a solemn. What's dirge. the what's the vibe? What's the vibe we're going for with our anthem? As far as uh, anthems go. I have now probably memorized the entire hymn of, of Max Verstappen's national anthem, the, the Dutch national anthem, because I've seen him on the podium so many times. Um, but, you know, I also was thinking about this, Spencer, because this is now the second weekend in a row we've had Max Lewis, uh, George. I would probably take a college course on the interpersonal uh, psychological dynamics of the uh, champagne ceremonies after these races mm -hmm. because before the race max was on sky sports and he was talking about how much he preferred his rivalry with leclerc over lewis hamilton and there i mean it's no like secret that max and lewis have not gotten along because of all of the incidents last season abu yeah. dhabi 
everything else uh, that has happened between them. And then they go on the podium after the race and have to like spray champagne on each other for the cameras. It is very bizarre. It is. I enjoy also seeing uh, Lewis Hamilton at work because it occurred to me the other week, Lewis Hamilton might be the person in the world who is best at spraying champagne. He yeah. might have had the most practice of anyone because for most of us, that's like a, you know, three or four times in a lifetime kind of thing. There may yeah, be if you're lucky, club, yeah. Right. There may be some DJs or club promoters who just do this weekly and maybe they're awesome at it. But the person I would probably draft in like the first like champagne sprayers draft of all drafts, it's got to be Lewis because he's done it so long and so often. So like I, I want to see like if we had a targeted competition, that's my dude. I'd take him. Yeah, well, I, I think I think I agree with you on that one. Should we get to some of our, our awards this season, Spencer? Absolutely. All right. So I'll uh, read the cat I'll read the category to you and you can maybe okay. get guess on on who your winner is and then I'll tell you who actually won. Again, these are voted on by um very top secret delegates from the DNF midseason race award team. Mm-hmm. So if you have problems, please tweeted at them it's uh not at spencer and i we had nothing mm-hmm. to do with these results uh uh price waterhouse cooper has been keeping them a secret uh whatever that company that accounting company is called that uh screwed up the academy awards a couple of years ago so again nothing to do with us so the first mm-hmm. award spencer is for uh the worst performance by a motorsport governing body uh so the winner of this award would be a, a grand prix uh, the grand prix in which the governing body m- was the worst this season. Yeah. Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and say that it was F1 for alternating race directors uh, because <laughs> this just my favorite thing that F1 makes a very big deal about being super official and never making things up, then proceeds to be very unofficial and make things up constantly. We will trade off. We will have dueling race directors just because one guy screwed up last year. And what was a very human moment, I will say, Michael Massey's probably in the wrong spot probably in the wrong spot but that scarred the FIA, FIA so much that they have decided to go completely the other way they should just have a race director of the week you know for now it's, it's Steve Harvey Steve Harvey is our race director of the week Congratulations! <laughs> that would be amazing yeah uh, and he surveys I, 100 people to see what he should do for each mm-hmm. incident I just want to see Steve Harvey's reaction to Ferrari right like when Ferrari does something he goes oh lord Oh, Lord. Just, like, covers his face. Oh, no. I know you just didn't do that. Or uh, well, you're right. his you're... accent say Max Verstappen. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> the winner of the award is the FIA for specifically the start at the Monaco Grand Prix. Uh, Spencer, I don't know if you recall, but there was a 45-minute mm. rain delay, which then the audience found out the delay was actually because there was a power outage on the grid. Uh, so that was super well communicated totally didn't extend uh, the race out by an extra hour and screw things up for everyone. Ferrari also lost that race. Not sure if that would have uh, been helped or, or hindered by starting with the rain, but uh, you're right. The FIA wins that award. Uh, our next award Spencer is for the nihilistic driver. It's the nihilistic driver award. Who do you think is the winner of our nihilistic driver award? It's definitely not the same person at the beginning of the season as it would have been at the end of the season because I feel like I've watched Charles Leclerc just discover existentialism in real time, that he might have been a person of faith when this started, but now he's just reading Camus and saying things like, within myself, I have discovered an eternal spring. He's going to come out (laughs) of this stronger. But, you know, once you put that kind of sadness inside somebody, it changes things. So I'm going to go Charles Leclerc. Yeah, that's the that's our winner. Um, he barely right. beat out Lewis Hamilton, who at the beginning of the season was very, very dark and depressed. But now uh, Charles, basically thanks to his performance at Paul Ricard and his uh, epic radio call, uh, he has won the award. If you listen closely to the radio call, Spencer, he's actually saying eat at Arby's. Uh, eat yes. at Arby's. That was, that was what the radio call was. Mange, so is it in, French, in French, it'd be mange à l'arbre. <laughs> le boeuf. <laughs> we have le boeuf. Nous avons le boeuf. Okay, and our next award, we have three left. Mm-hmm. Our next award is the award for the most Florida Turnpike Grand Prix. Oh, 
you know, this one feels very easy to me. Though not without competition. There's a few other tracks that are very Florida Turnpike. But I'm going to go the one we both attended, the Miami GP. Ah, yes. We had a Grand Prix that literally went underneath the Florida Turnpike. And we have barely spoken about it mm -hmm. on, on this show, Spencer. So who are your other contenders for most Florida Turnpike Grand Prix? Because I, I think you're right. There are a couple other good ones. Silverstone. Silverstone is very, there's a very Florida vibe at Silverstone. So I'm going to go with that also because... It's a road course that goes through some really unusual territory in terms of F1 racing. Baku. Baku mm. also has a little bit of Florida Turnpike to it. Extremely, extremely Florida Turnpike. Uh, I, I, it's kind of interesting how we haven't spoken about Miami. Like, nothing really happened at the Miami Grand Prix. Like, it had no nope. bearing on anything. It might have been the most boring race of the season so far in terms of actual racing. Is, is that accurate? I mean, Ferrari didn't blow it, so it was more interesting. The Hungarian GP was more interesting than the Miami GP. The Miami GP was interesting because I was at it. That's about <laughs> it. I, I, my, the Miami GP, uh, for me, the most interesting thing about it was Lewis Hamilton saying it was like racing in a Home Depot parking lot. <laughs> that There's a little bit of English to American translation going on there, but he essentially said it was like uh, a junior kart race. I was going to say, I, does Lewis Ham has Lewis Hamilton ever been to a Home Depot? And if so, what is he purchasing at Home Depot? Uh, same thing we're all purchasing, which is usually like five nails and a bag of jerky at checkout when you get hungry and go, <laughs> Home Depot has snacks? Crazy. I think he's getting like a two by four plank to fix the porpoising on the bottom of his car. He's like, you know what? <laughs> I'll do it myself. I got this. <laughs> Whatever. Right. Mate, I'll fix it myself. If you won't do it, <laughs> I will. Toto's behind him like, this. that's very true, Lewis. That's very true, Lewis. Good job. <laughs> He's definitely not getting beef jerky, though. There is a 0% mm -hmm. chance Lewis Hamilton has ever eaten beef jerky. No. All right. And our next award is for the cheekiest driver. Now, this one, Spencer, was a tough call because there's a lot of cheeky drivers in F1. So who is your guess for the winner of the Cheekiest Driver Award? I don't know if it's a guess. I have a nominee. My, my mm. nominee is Fernando Alonso. Ooh. Because, yeah, yeah. Because he's the only one I know who's given someone the finger wag on the, the track during a race this year. Yeah, yeah. The, the Finger Wag on the Track Award was actually one of the pre-show uh, awards that was given out. That one is not given out on screen. Uh, oh, so okay. unfortunately, the that's... handed out the prestigious Dikembe. Yeah. <laughs> that's a separate award category. Uh, and Fernando was not invited to the ceremony. The winner of the Cheekiest Driver Award actually goes to the one and only Terry Bodas, Valtteri Bodas, for mm. selling pictures of his naked ass for charity literally cheeky i have two of them in my house right now i can't find one of them you have, I two? have two copies of that image <laughs> because i bought one and somebody was like yeah i sent you one <laughs> i still don't Just even have one somebody figured i needed it so i got one i'll send i'll send I you my that. extra okay well if we ever get to talk to the esteemed valtteri botas i think you need to bust out both of them and just have them like inconspicuously hanging behind you in frame and see if he notices shake uh, four halves of butt i will literally have four halves of three boat ass <laughs> butt on the screen all at once four cheeks well six if you count your face all right yeah so valtteri wins mm -hmm. that award and our final award which we award every week is for the best lad spencer who wins our best lad award i'm so glad that you met you asked that because this is the award I've been waiting for. Because I will state this. It was up in doubt, okay? There was some hesitance on the part of the judges as to who the best lad might be for a moment. But then, after a miserable performance on Friday, an electrifying pole run on Saturday, and a podium finish for the best lad several weeks running, retaining the title of best lad, that would be George Russell! The best lad of all. Oh, lad of lads. Defender of the crown jewels. The queen's personal pet and pride. That's correct. George Russell. The man so British. He is essentially a walking 
sack of fish and chips, George <laughs> Russell. A walking vitamin D deficiency, but we love him. Yes. Best lad. Best lad of all lads. Have yourself a pint on us. You won't because you have to weigh 138 pounds to get in that car at six feet tall. But best lad of all, George Russell. That was incredible. Uh, did you happen to hear George Russell's uh, sit-down interview with uh, BBC Checkered Flag podcast, Spencer? No, because uh, because I'm I'm busy listening to uh, Chris Whittingham, you know, interviewing the lad. That's that's what I'm waiting on. <laughs> uh, well, it it was it was very. I mean, George Russell's very uh, like he thinks about what he says and he's very yes. kind of calm and thoughtful and collected. He's also 24 years old, which is like those things tend to not coexist. But uh, they asked him about the meme that he was the star of and he really enjoyed it. They asked him about, um, you know, being the leader of the, of the driver's association at such a young age, et cetera, et cetera. But my favorite takeaway was that George Russell was four minutes early for the interview. Of course he was. Cause if you're not early, you're late. That is and correct. If you're, if you're not early, you're no longer the best lad. You lose, you lose lad status, right? Like I just, George <laughs> Russell, like I hope that he has his podium finish, gets in a car, goes home and immediately like parks in a uh, gravel driveway, like, like a, a scenic gravel driveway. A lamb sidles up next to him, right? He kisses his mom on the cheek, immediately dives into a meat pie. Right. And then sits down and watches Love Island, just like the most British <laughs> construct you could possibly make one George Russell. Uh, yeah. So we're going to get to some uh, audience questions in a second here. So if you have questions, please put them in the chat. Uh, we will mm -hmm. we will answer as many as we can. We probably have about 15 minutes left um, before we get to that. Spencer, Sebastian Vettel is retiring. Do we have any any lasting thoughts on Sebastian Vettel? Um, only this, that, that I think he's actually the pre-Lewis. Like, I think that, mm -hmm. that Lewis Hamilton as a model of someone who has had phenomenal success on the track and then transformed himself into someone who was a spokesperson for so many off-track issues and really mm -hmm. taking his profile and, you know, public prominence forward into activism. Sebastian Vettel, um, I don't want to say like, oh, he did that before Lewis, but that's just factual. He was somebody who used his position to raise awareness around issues that F1 is loath to talk about a lot, you know, mm -hmm. particularly, you know, last year you go to Hungary. Okay. Hungary is under the rule right now of Victor Orban and a bunch of extremely weird ultra-nationalist people who put weird dudes in tank tops holding flags behind the anthem. That's very much their vibe. And one plank of that platform is serious homophobia and trying to restrict the rights of LGBTQ plus people. And that's something that Vettel spoke out about, wore the helmet. Like, that's just one example of the kind of way that, like, Sebastian Vettel, who I think at the peak of his fame, looked at it very uh, coldly and said, I could use this as a platform for activism, but also to really maintain a personal life. If you know this about Vettel, Vettel, family dude, like, really has not let fame get to his head, has been a very down-to-earth person. Like, I think that's probably, like, if you go, well, what is his legacy? You go, well, there was a championship, sure. But somebody who is as balanced a driver in a lot of different ways on a personal and a political level. So, you know, good on him for being something that's very rare, which is an F1 driver that we, have, we haven't had to be embarrassed of much and who has been, like, a real <laughs> credit to his community. And I only say that in the sense of, like, embarrassed. I mean, if you're that famous, it's easy to swear has got eyes on you and the slightest little thing can become uh, a very big issue and he's for the most part avoided that and been a real credit to uh racing worldwide like transcending f1 yeah yeah which is one of the reasons that i think people speculated he would stay in f1 longer because it's kind of the age-old argument of like do you have a bigger platform when you're racing and you're one of the 20 drivers on the grid or can you do more when you don't have to go you know travel around the world yeah. 23 weekends of the year and put so much time and effort into actually just being an athlete um so i think mm -hmm. his his answers to a lot of the questions about why he retired again shouting out bbc checkered flag podcast because i had uh listened to their hungarian grand prix pre-show and they ran an interview with him that i haven't been able to find his answer in transcription form anywhere but uh it was i believe with jenny gao and he said that she asked him essentially like what to what extent do like your your activism kind of play a role in this and he said that like 
unfortunately, the climate crisis is something that is going to be part of our future, no matter how much we wish it away. And so he he feels bad for the younger drivers and that he like his basically uh, his thought process on it is that, like, of course, it plays a role. And that's part of everyone's futures going forward. And the way he said it was 10 times more eloquent than what I just described. So everyone should go listen to it in his own words. But I think like you said, Spencer, he's a very impressive athlete. Uh, he seems to say all the right things and do all the right things. And so I'm, I'm for one, looking forward to what he does next and how he can continue to put that message forward, because I'm sure he's not going to just kind of disappear. Although if he does, he's earned it. He can do whatever he wants now, but he seems like yeah. someone who is legitimately focused on like trying to leave the sport better than when he entered it, which is something that I've heard Lewis Hamilton also say that is you know, his goal and something that he admires Sebastian Vettel for. Yeah, I think I'm, uh, I think when you say somebody who did not see the choice of driver or personality as uh, an either as, as an or statement, right? Like, I think mm -hmm. he saw it as not an either or, but why not both at the same time? And like to be able to pull that off, you know, you're a different kind of dude. Shall we get to some questions? Let's get to some questions. All right. Well, this one's a tough one. Uh, it is, who is the best Canadian F1 racer? Nicholas Latifi, Goat Tifi, or Lance Stroll? It's very hard not to say Stroll based on the evidence. Like, uh, <laughs> I, I, also, also, I would say that the best racer is also probably the one that can get their dad to buy a team for them, which, you know, that, that's a power move, man. Good, good job. So I'm going to go ahead and say true. Stroll. Um, I think after this weekend, I'm going with Nicholas Latifi. He came in first place in P3 yesterday, which was uh, probably the pinnacle of his racing career so far. And after he crossed the line, people cheered for him at, at the stands because it was so improbable and they were so happy for him. And he told uh, his uh, team over the radio, were, were, those, were people clapping for me? It was just so oh. wonderful, Spencer. Just so wonderful. Yeah, that's that's so painful. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, if we're, if we're going on like pure merits as a driver, Lance Stroll is is probably the more talented driver. He's gotten in the points a few times this season, and and you know Nicholas Latifi is pretty consistently at the bottom of the grid. Also, not in as good of a car. Um, no, not not, at all. not really close. But uh, it's it's a good question because we, you know we can laugh. We can just laugh as we answer it. Um, we, we can we can laugh a little bit. By the way, my favorite moment this weekend is probably, I believe it was Carlos Sainz saying he had been held up by this Williams. And the way he said it was just, <laughs> it hurt my heart. Like, I oh. want well for Williams. Everyone's trying real hard. But the way he said it was basically kind of like this Ultima. This, this, <laughs> this, this Hyundai on the track, right? Like Goddamn yeah, Suzuki rough. esteem. Mm -hmm. That's a better, yeah. better call <laughs> shout out. Uh, all right. Our next question is When do we start blaming Mattia Binotto for the failures at Ferrari on race day? When did, when have right we, when did now. we stop blaming him? I think it's kind of been on yeah. him the whole time, right, Spencer? Yeah. Yeah. If you're the dude, like the visual of you going to get coffee uh, in the middle of the race that your team is busy absolutely botching, that's damning. That's bad. I know you're going to go get coffee. Respect. Sometimes I got to go get coffee. But if I'm in the middle of the race and that happens, that's just sort of, that's not an indicator or a metaphor I want to give anybody in that position. So, yeah, let's blame Mattia. Like, yeah. like it's time for Ferrari to get a haircut, literally and figuratively. To be fair, he may not have been getting coffee. We just assumed he was because... Yeah, Ted, yeah, Ted Kravitz joked about it, but I think it's fair to give him a lot of the blame given the fact that he has his fingerprints all over this Ferrari team. He worked in the engineering department and then he was the chief technical officer at Ferrari. Uh, and so then he was promoted to team principal. So he's kind of worked in all these different aspects of a team. And I think it's one of those like if comparing it to football, it's like, okay, if you're if your D line is consistently not getting to the quarterback and is your your weakest part at what point do you blame the head coach well like the head coach has a, a say in who his players are who his d-line coaches what you know strategy the defense is running like there's at some point the person at the top does have 
responsibility for the entire team if there's one aspect of the team that's not clicking. Um, and so we obviously don't know what extent, or at least I don't know what extent Benoto is making any of these calls himself, but he's clearly making calls about the people who are making the calls. So like, I think it's fair to blame him for a lot of the struggles this season, especially because they keep happening over and over again. It's not like a one-off here and a one-off there. It seems to be mm -hmm. a systemic failure at Ferrari. If we can joke about it on a consistent basis to where it becomes a trend, you don't want a joke becoming a fact of life. Mm -hmm. You don't. Like, right. you don't want me to say, I don't have to tell jokes about Ferrari. But right now they're lighting money on fire. So yeah, I think that's absolutely, that's absolutely fair to say that it's on it's on Mattia. And I know that like they don't like to change things mid-season. I don't think it would change things mid-season. You're talking about these very big organizations that have a lot of things that have just been in motion for years and years and years. But stop making mistakes in the moment. These are not mm -hmm. mistakes. Like, like the things that we talk about that are wrong with Mercedes and that they've been fighting against, those are systemic. They are technical issues that have to do with the design of the car and how they missed on this new design. With Ferrari, they got all that right. And then with the five second decisions, they keep botching those. Those are fixable, but they involve the weakest part of the machine in terms of making the decision to change how you make decisions. And that's people, right? Like that's it. Like mm -hmm. the, the problem with Mercedes is largely mechanical. The problem with Ferrari ears. Don't know if you can fix that if you're the one who has to make the decision about who to replace. My general rule of thumb for, for like sports teams and personnel, don't become a meme. Once you've become a meme, no, you've lost no. you've lost the audience, you've lost the room, you've lost the team, you've lost the sport. It never works out once you've become a meme. And Ferrari has been a meme for most of the season. And Mattia Bonotto is the face of that meme. Like as a as a Notre Dame fan, as soon as the Brian Kelly purple face memes were hitting the Twitter webs, over. that's when it was over. O-V-E-R. Do not become a meme. Yeah. Um, I, I want to get to this question very briefly, which uh, is and my favorite question. Alonso and Ocon, W-T-H, question mark. <laughs> because if you saw Alonso and, and Ocon um, both getting passed by Daniel Ricardo, who, good on Daniel Ricardo. Which was awesome, yeah. The showing today. Well, oh, it was a phenomenal move. Like, it was a guy getting past two people at Hungary? At Hungary, like, that's amazing. For me, this was the moment where you could see the people be like, oh, this is dysfunction. No, I mean, I think this is just two teammates who really couldn't get on the same page about who was supposed to uh, cover what route. This is a lot like a, a, a back and a goalie after the ball goes in going, hey, man, where were you? This is back at safety being <laughs> like, I thought you had it. No, I thought you had it, right? Like, that – that happens sometimes. I think that's what happened. Was it funny? Yes. Are we going to get these jokes off? Yes. Are the two possibly now enmeshed in a lifelong rivalry? Uh, would that end badly with one of them leaving the team? Probably because this is F1. I don't, you know, like that's, it's largely out of their control whether they do that. And the idea of people being teammates in F1 is always sort of weird to me because it's a lot like teammates in the sense of the Sith that it is in an actual team, right? There's one person who's sort of nominally the one, and then there's this person who's two but wants to be the one and might leave and or depose that person should they show weakness. It's always competition, and that always sort of makes the chummy aspect of it a little fraught. So, yeah, there's your long answer. What the hell? I don't know, man. Sometimes you screw up. Yeah, and it seems like on the, on the radio messages, Alonzo – does not want to like Alonzo wants to be the number one guy. Right. And so yep, Akon yep. has a little bit of, of speed or advantage to him. He's not cool. Just chilling and, and taking the second mm -hmm. strategy. Like he wants to, he wants to beat his teammate. He wants to beat everyone. He's Fernando Alonso. And so he's not really cool. with sticking around and just kind of playing, playing the team thing. This is like maybe the second or third time this season that they've battled it out to the detriment of themselves because they've gotten like in this instance, uh, instead of playing along with one another, they both ended up getting in this entanglement, which then Daniel Ricardo was able to take advantage of. And Daniel Ricardo, with one of the nicest little radio messages of the season, it was so nice to hear how confident he felt after both of those uh, overtaking. Oh, yeah. I was very happy to hear it. Yeah, I think if, if you're a person who has hopped on the F1 train, one of the great quiet joys is discovering how much is going on in the middle of the pack 
because it does sort of help you appreciate everything that's happening one through 20 because there's a lot of little stories and once you sort of get over okay well this person is probably p1 for the year once we decide Mm -hmm. once we once we accept that max verstappen is probably going to smoke the rest of the schedule which is kind of the question i want to get to next but in regards to uh lewis hamilton but before we get there just appreciating the things like yeah daniel had a good a great day today had a phenomenal day for him especially this year um, when you look at what Mercedes has done and coming on the last couple of races and really getting more and more consistent and competitive, um, that's an organization that is putting in work. Um, yes, biggest bankroll in the universe backing them, but putting in work. And that, that to me is, is indicative of like where the sport can get really rich. Well, you alluded to it already, but our last question before we wrap up today and take our our summer break, Spencer, because there's a nice little break here and then F1 comes back and college football season starts. So we're about to be very busy. Mm -hmm. Um, The question is, what's more likely Max winning every race from now until the end of season or Lewis winning at least one more time? What are your thoughts on this, Spencer? I want Lewis one more time. I think that's because the idea of Max winning uh, nine in a row or however many races we have left um, that seems improbable to me given everything that can go wrong in a race, right? Like if there's one thing that's really unusual, it's that we had very few retirements today. This is a sport where, you know, inevitably someone's power plant blows up, someone spins mm-hmm. into the wall. Um, that's all stuff that happens to everybody pretty equally. Like it's pretty random sometimes who gets in and out of a race. Max isn't going to win all of them. Is Lewis going to win one more? I don't know. He's been getting stronger. I know he's one of the best drivers in the world. He just hasn't had the car. The car getting closer, and he appears to be more comfortable driving that car. And also, they're working really well together as teammates right now, right? Decently enough to good most races. So it'd be beautiful to see Lewis get another one. I I want it. I've already gotten a couple of those ones. Like, I got Carlos Sainz got one. I wanted Carlos to get one. Carlos got one. You know, I want George to get one because – I am the number one supporter of the best lad, but mm-hmm. I would love to see Lewis get another one because um, it's been a long climb up and that emotional payoff would be, it'd be something I haven't gotten with Lewis. Yeah. Right. right. Because I expect him to be so good. And now having him seen go through some adversity, I, you know, I got to admit, I want that dopamine hit. I just want that little bit of dopamine hit associated with somebody who I, you know, I think most people already think so highly of. I want that. Yeah. Him. I well, so it's been compared. Lewis, my fandom of Lewis has been compared to like if I were to just randomly start watching the NFL and become a Patriots fan. It's like you're you're just cheering for the guy who it's like the easiest to cheer for because he wins a lot. And I would counter that yeah. with saying like Lewis Hamilton is seventy five times cooler than the entire state of Massachusetts. So like I'm with you. It's like rare to to have someone who wins so much be kind of the underdog right now. And it feels almost kind of like cheating to root for them to win something because they have already won so many races, so many championships, but with Lewis Hamilton, like it it does feel like right now he's coming, he's, he's getting over some like major, major adversity and major hurdle with Abu Dhabi last year. And then the first half of the season, having all these issues with the car and porpoising and et cetera. And George qualifying George finishing ahead of him in a lot of races. Like I'm sure that was kind Mm -hmm. of a, a little bit of a hit to his ego as well. But I think today he proved he is still an amazing driver. He came from P7 to finish in second. But Max, of course, coming from 10th to finish in first, was was the winner of the race. But like you said, Max isn't going to win every single race. There's nine races left. He had some yep. big issues in qualifying this weekend. He's he's had actually a few issues qualifying throughout the first half of the season. This weekend it was a, as a power unit issue, I think. Uh, so mm-hmm. it's it's not inevitable. Winning winning every race would be very, very hard. And I think I agree with you. Lewis is like right on the verge of it. They have all the speed going into the break. The car is performing better. He's driving really well. It seems like he's got his confidence back. So uh, my money is on Lewis for that one. Uh, but my money's still on Max to win the driver's championship. That seems a little bit more inevitable but even if that's the case Spencer we're still going to have fun with the rest of the races we have left on the calendar and uh we will we will see everyone else after the break do we have any final thoughts on the Hungarian Grand Prix uh maybe maybe just this looking forward okay when we come back from break okay Mm -hmm. uh Mm -hmm. now that now that we've got the Magyar Grand Prix 
all wrapped up and Budapest in the rear view. The first four coming back, okay, three out of the four are legit bangers, okay? Uh, first of all, first one back on uh, the 28th is going to be Spa, which ah. Spa is rainy, long, chaotic. It is. It can be a real test of endurance and nerve. As the um, Brits say, spar. Spar. Oh, no. It's spar. <laughs> uh, the Netherlands, we, we get the Dutch Grand Prix at Sandvoort, uh, which mm. is a really interesting track. And then uh, the 11th, we get Monza. Mm. All right. So high speeds. And, and then Singapore. Don't worry about Singapore. But Monza, so, so the first of, the, of the, the first four races back, the first month, three out of those four can be pretty volatile. So mm-hmm. um, I'm looking forward to seeing what adjustments everyone makes. I'm looking forward to, most importantly, Instagram photos of F1 drivers on vacations I will never be oh, able yes. to afford. Yes. Always the highlight. Uh, yeah. And I'm looking forward to you practicing more of your Italian for that race at Monza. I have a feeling you'll get to use some of it. Yes, we're, we're, listen, I will, we will make a comeback for the translation segment for this, and we will learn even more important Italian. Hopefully, you let me say things like this, Ferrari, which was, Ferrari kicked ass. Ferrari made good decisions. Teach me how to mm. say that in Italian. I would like to see that. Well, we will see if that's the case. Thank you, everyone, for watching. We'll, we'll see you after the break. All right. Ciao. Ciao. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.